1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
2: Hit the wrong thing. (laughs) Hold on. Here we go. Buenos todos. Is that a thing, Alice? What does todos mean? All, I think. It used to mean something. I don't know. So it is Monday night. I am in Connecticut still. Just down the road from um, my network of Nike missile sites, Alice. I almost saw another one today, but I was on a search to try to find food. <clears throat> Connecticut is not a wholly no-carb-centric uh, place, so it looks like I'll probably end up getting dominoes again tonight, those little chicken things. Poor me.
3: Poor you. Poor, Poor you. But did you see one of our listeners sent you pictures of your Norwich State Hospital?
2: Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. If I can get out early tomorrow, but I'm going to Todd's. Going to be there. I'll probably have to hang out with him a little bit. Not that I don't want to. I do. We've got a. Um, we've got a. Else, oh, this Marco Polo app is not going to work. If I'm this is something where I'm sorry. required. I'm
3: sorry. I don't know.
2: Like it's like an, I owe seven video messages to various people at this point. Like what kind of app is I'm that? Sorry. That is that is an app. That is an app that you would say, you know what? Let's specifically find something that absolutely Tom Shattuck has no opportunity to do. That would be you it. Know. Now, I love we I love Jason who suggested we get the app and Josh and Caroline and you and all and you've sent me a whole bunch of things as well. But um but I mean, I don't know what to <laughs>
3: I'm sorry that it's created a lot of pressure in your life, honey. Please feel no obligation. (sighs) I think the understanding was, my understanding of the Marco Polo app when it was being explained to me was that it took some of the pressure off because it's not like you have to video chat with somebody you can, you know, open and consume the video message at your leisure.
2: Yeah. No, I get it. It's just like, unless until we go on vacation or it's a Saturday or Sunday or late night, when I'll be too drunk to know what I'm videoing anyway. <laughs> Those
3: are the best Marco Polo right. messages, honey.
2: <laughs> so, um, so one thing I just do want to get to today, right off, um, this it happened in Connecticut, but this is this is about world, this is about the statewide thing, is, um, is, uh what's his name who's the secretary of education
3: oh right i forgot his name
2: too um okay tom hold on i have it right in front of me here somewhere i got it
3: miguel cardona yes
2: miguel cardona um was mark miguel cardona was on the tv uh, close uh, locally here with a guy named Eric Parker. And Eric Parker asked him how, uh, how things were going with loan forgiveness.
1: Where do we stand with student loan forgiveness?
2: You know, one of the things I'm most uh, happy about as Secretary of Education is that since uh, we came on board, uh, we provided over $12.5 billion in loan forgiveness we're revamping the public service loan forgiveness. And just from October till today, uh, another $2.3 billion in loan forgiveness uh, was issued by the Department of Education. 500,000 people received emails telling them that they're closer to loan forgiveness. um, And another 30,000 received an email saying they no longer have student loans. We're not waiting. So uh, he says, we're not waiting. In other words, we're not waiting for legislation. They're doing stuff with whatever money they have now. And of course, this is a problem and ridiculous and pathetic. Now, so some of these loans are for military people. Some of these loans are for teachers. People in public service are the people who are being uh, being uh, hit right now. So, you're going to give somebody who's a teacher and he has a master's degree a a uh, a loan forgiveness. Uh, you know, you know. Eventually, Allison it appears. It seems to me that you. You do essentially loan, borrow, reparations. Eventually, we're going to have to look at the people who have been clamoring for reparations, eventually, and say, "I understand. It's still not feasible that we can figure it out for you, for, uh, you know the, you, those of you who are descended from slaves." But right now, we're going to give white middle class uh, people some more money and bail them out and make their lives easier. Just to thanks, thanks though. It's like.
3: well yeah and what i don't understand too is how many people are living on on taxpayer largesse who keep complaining about their own student loans personally like obviously we've talked about aoc complaining about her student loans chase and buddha judge was complaining on instagram about his student loans did you see this
2: yeah
3: he posted on instagram you know his thing that his student loan payments were going to restart after january and he said on instagram lol no thank you merry christmas next oh
2: my um, goodness i didn't like, understand like slow context. Down.
3: yeah uh you know when your husband is a hugely high-ranking government official and you live in dc and have this like charmed life maybe don't complain i love your christmas list thank you i will look at this do you want me to read this to us here says do you want to hear this tom uh yeah the christmas list dear santa are you having a good day for christmas i would really like a stuffed animal monkey dinosaur and me a starfish stuffed animal an ice cream set a rubble stuffed animal a paw patrol tower Don't we already have one? There was some editorializing by the scribe on this one. More than multiple of these items we already have. Yellow bedsheets with lots of love from Cyril.
2: Dearest little Cyril, let me tell you about the supply chain. (laughs) Better luck next year. That's how we answer that one. Uh, uh, That is a full-on, full-throated veto by the (laughs) T-Man.
3: Man, tough days, tough days. But he started off the letter by asking if Santa was having a nice day. I think that's pretty nice. Smart. Uh, Daddy's not showing up on the video here right now. He's still in Connecticut at the hotel.
2: Smart man, smart, smart man. Here, I can show me if you want. There I am. Is he still there?
3: Here he is. See him?
2: Who's that? Mine's Cyril. Hi. Hi. Okay.
3: Cool. We gotta finish the podcast. Go hang out with Sally. Thank you.
2: So yeah, and the whole thing with 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 Chas, and it is I mean, it is incredible how suddenly this is just like this given. They they they're so entitled that this is now it's now consensus. This is considered an unfair burden that just was wrought upon them by God knows what randomness.
3: Well, and like the only reason everybody's student loan payments were paused over the last year was the pandemic. It wasn't like just the start of a new reality for you. Right. How do people right. not realize that? I mean, I'm sorry. I apologize to you, Tom and Gen X and all our listeners for millennials. I'm sorry.
2: I got I can't believe if I didn't believe read the chest and think today it's so it's so gross. Cause at the same time he essentially, you know, acquired a new baby and all that and <laughs> Oh, I want to do baby stuff now. I don't want to do loan baby. stuff. Seriously, I want to do baby yeah. stuff, not loan stuff now. We're playing, uh, you know, nuclear family now, so we don't. That's inconvenient for us. God. Not
3: to mention the reason why a lot of people don't pay back their student loans right away. Like I'm sure the reason AOC and whoever else was, was Rashida Talib complaining about them, whoever else was complaining about them. The reason why people don't pay them back right away is because the interest rates on them are artificially subsidized by the government. So they're very, very low in a lot of cases on the federal loans anyway. And there's not it's it's very cheap money. So there's no reason to pay them back when you could be, you know, shoving money in your 401k or something instead. It's just I mean, like, you're making the financial decisions you're making, but you're well off. And I think that the AOCs and Chase and judges of the world are more typical of people who would be advantaged by forgiving student loan debt than the people that Democrats are imagining it is. But this is like a whole thing now. A bunch of people are complaining on Twitter and wherever else because, you know, there's starting to be... People are starting to get the notices that their student loan payments are now going to resume because the whole pandemic stopping student loan payments thing is now ending in January. And, you know, here's another one that was on Twitter. Biden, I just got this has 161,000 likes. Okay, Biden, I just got an email about my student payments pause on student loans ends at the end of January. I'm going to have them email and call you because something must be wrong. I swear you told us you was canceling student loan debt. Somebody <laughs> uh... else replied with their email that they're writing to the White House. Good afternoon, President Biden. I could be mistaken, but I was under the impression that student loan debt was to be canceled under your presidency, which happens to be one of the reasons I voted for you. However, the Great Lake Borrow Services seems to be unaware of such. If you could so kindly let them know you will be handling my loan payments. That would be great oh, also, my if you're goodness. Uh, to go the extra was... mile and pay slash cancel my Discover loans, too. That would be very patriotic of you. Happy holidays and God bless America.
2: It, it, hopefully that person was tongue in cheek. But I,
3: I think they were tongue in cheek, but I think they mean it, too, if you know what I mean. I mean, I think it's a joke, but it, I think they seriously are upset that Biden hasn't canceled their student loan payments yet.
2: It is. Um, I, I'm just kind of ashamed for the country. I'm embarrassed for them that we're like this. Like, so all all the people who are the most comfortable are actually don't have it to feel ashamed. Well, I guess it is yours is the GoFundMe generation where we've seen your friends say GoFundMe for anything, for any number of things, including, um, including including
3: I'm having like a bad mental health day. Would you send me money to get takeout for myself? Like, yeah, no, I've seen it. It's, um, But, yeah, it's it's an embarrassment, and th- that kind of attitude is uh, – it's obviously not going to stop at student loans. The generation that is doing this with student loans isn't going to want to pay their mortgage when they run into problems paying either. Yeah, well, right. For their rent or anything else. I mean, like, look at the complaining about the CDC eviction moratorium and Cory Bush and all that stuff, right? I mean – there there are times when, you know, you take on debt that you have trouble paying back and you have to do stuff like get a new job or discharge the debt or in bankruptcy or sell your house that you bought that you couldn't afford or whatever else. And like. I don't understand how postponing these decisions for people is going to help them. You know, like when their mortgage payment is due, are they going to write a letter to Joe Biden complaining that they're being expected to pay for the house that they live in?
2: Right. Well, uh, suddenly, you know, when it comes time, when the fun part is over, like going to school and it's time to pay, just like the fun mm-hmm. part of the luster wears off of getting the house and it's time to pay, then the uh, the loan suddenly becomes predatory.
3: Right i was predated upon
2: right exactly so you know what's so interesting about the college debt one is mm-hmm. how come none of these people how come the the none of their ire is on the colleges themselves for the prices none of their ire is on the you know you wouldn't have to get the loan or the are not
3: the college because it's not the college coming to them and asking for money you know well, it would right, be
2: but 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 they wouldn't have had to go ask the predators for money if the colleges were less expensive I see what you're saying. So it's not the – wow, what a good racket to be in the college. you got this force field now protecting you for your grift university. It's funny. It's funny they give Trump so much for having a a, a grift university. Uh, That's just one of many. At (laughs)
3: least
2: his was the least obvious.
3: Well, rightfully so. I mean people on the left do complain about – certain scammy universities because there have been some very scammy universities out there that you know want you to pay for a degree and then the degree is not worth anything but that type of logic extends a lot further than just the ones that are explicitly scammy it extends to a lot of universities that are mid-tier right and i think what we've seen over the last I mean it was going on even when i was in college so i would say probably over the last 30 years or so it, this has been happening where you know we've come up with this idea that everyone has to go to college and so you know there are these schools that are like where a degree from them is a key that opens a lot of doors for mm-hmm. you you know if you have a degree from harvard or yale or columbia like you're going to that's going to open doors for you in your life just by virtue of having gone there and having a piece of paper from them right but then there's like this whole range under that of schools that are you know they're just not as elite and I mean it's it's up for debate even those elite schools how much of the degree opening doors for you is a function of anything you learn there versus you know it just being the cachet and being a signal that you're a smart person because you couldn't have gotten in there if you weren't a smart person you know so Mm -hmm. it just kind of proves to people that you're that you're smart and I mean there's been a lot of debate in economics about to what degree college education is like a signaling mechanism like that those people would have done fine in life anyway, right? Because it's very clear that going to college is associated with higher income. But what's not clear is if that's like a cause and effect relationship, right? Right. Because the type of people that get into MIT, it's totally possible that they would have had a higher income lifelong than people who didn't get into MIT anyway. So, I mean, it's a really big question, but then you have this whole set of other universities that are also now fairly difficult to get into but the degrees probably were never worth that much a because they're less selective it's easier to get in you're not already in like a self-selected group of elite students right Mm -hmm. you know they're not they don't have the same level of connections and elite cachet that those like super elite schools do and Then on top of that, the prices of those schools have been allowed to proliferate because of artificial demand pushed on kids by school guidance counselors and naive parents and the just absolute abundance of cheap money from the government. And that has funded, you know, fancy dorm rooms and huge athletic centers and all this stuff that the colleges now are addicted to and don't wanna let go of. Oh, and crazy amounts of administrator salaries too, diversity and Mm -hmm. equity departments and all that stuff, right? So it is such a racket and it's not clear that these degrees that we're selling to kids have any value whatsoever, right? right? That, you know, as we push more and more kids to go to college, it's not clear to me that the degrees that we're having them get are worth anything. You know, and it's sort of a it's sort of a chicken and an egg thing. Right. Like the left sees a bunch of people with college degrees making more money. So they think it's like an end in itself to send kids to college. It would be like if they decided, you know, like, you know, what we've observed is that a lot of people wear a tie and a briefcase to work and they make more money than people who don't wear a tie and a briefcase to work. So what we'll do is we'll equip everybody with a tie and a briefcase and then they'll make more money. Like, but that's not why, it just happened. It's like an artifact of the way the thing was set up. You know?
2: Right. And I also think, I had a caller today, this woman named Michelle, has like three kids. She's younger than me, and she may be your age. She called up and called me a jerk and said that my daddy paid for me to go to school, which he, he paid for me to get a certificate. I was actually alone, but he died. So I stiffed him um, after he died, I guess, uh, which I guess means I stiffed my brother, really, because does anybody care about this because it's the estate? Anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter. So and in that learning HTML for $8,000, even though it's I could have learned HTML for probably $500, learning HTML, I was supposed to learn a whole bunch of other stuff, certainly was a help, or actually did help me uh you know in my with my radio career. I probably would have I would have gotten into radio regardless. I because I didn't use it then. I just used it to advance and whatever. But 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 um but it's not the same. She said your daddy and that's right. I was I was lucky enough to have a dad who had a few some thousand dollars on hand. But that thousand dollars was not lucky thousand dollars. That was thousand dollars that he worked for. That wasn't the thousand that wasn't three that wasn't a taxpayer money handed over to Tom Shattuck, diverted you know and well it
3: also wasn't um you know seventy five thousand or two hundred thousand right. dollars or
2: something right there's no doubt it's, it's but anyway, a little, it's, bit, it's it's, a little
3: it's, bit of a horse of a different color right, you but know this,
2: this, she was very upset because she had she had and it's funny because you you almost wanted to castigate her, but she was so incredibly honest. She said mm-hmm. that she is way in debt over her head now. She said that she had gotten a an Asian studies degree. Well, and she was almost at her degree, but, and then she had to work and do whatever. And, but she was hugely in debt from only half of the degree, have, not having gotten the whole thing and holding it. Then she thought, well, you know what? If I get the rest of the degree, then I'll be able to make a lot of money. So she got the rest of the degree, got way more in debt, and didn't make a lot of money. So, okay. so, so, I mean, it's, there's a certain caveat emptor there, right? And you know what? She, she was told that she'd be, she, if she got disagreed, that she'd get into sc- have a good future. And, like, mm-hmm. my feeling is, and I'm sure she was told that, and my feeling was is that everybody in my age was told as well, in my untold to town. Yep, that's right. You go from Winchester into college, and you're going to do just fine. One day, maybe you'll move next to your parents' house in Winchester. And you're told that in the in the entire culture is movies about getting drunk in college with your buddies and, you know, road trip, you know, all the coming of age college movies, et cetera. Because so it is possible that there are people who have had who have lived lives that that there is nobody around them in any part of their inner or outer circle who ever told them to think about it, to wait, to don't do it, to get, who who counseled them to not go to college right away, not get in debt, et cetera.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that point of view was very foreign in a lot of suburban high schools. You know, there was no way a school guidance counselor was gonna tell students not to try and go to college. You know, they they might advise you like, which colleges they had a better chance of getting into or something. But none of them was going to sit there and say to you, like, I think you should consider, like, going to the Vogue at nights and (laughs) learning how to be a plumber.
2: If you said that in Winchester public schools, your parents would have reamed that guidance counselor. Yeah, they would have
3: been extremely upset that you would tell their kid that. Meanwhile, the kid who did go to the Vogue and become a plumber is making, like, three times as much as that kid who should have been counseled that has any hope of ever making, right? Like, that's what's nuts about it, is it's like this elitist thing, but the people that are plumbers are making so much more money.
2: Yeah.
3: I don't, I mean, it's funny, I, um... I went to a job interview for this great job at one point this year. And it, it was a great job, but it just wasn't for me. Like, it wasn't going to fit my life and whatever. And, I, I mean, awesome people. But uh, one of the things they had an open position for was welding. And I, like, uh, I said something like, you know, like, I mean, they – I forgot how it came up, but he said, like, we'd be offering a lot more money for this job if you did know how to weld. And I was like, yeah, something made all the wrong decisions in my life. I don't know. Because, yeah, it because the, the roles for people working in the office paid nowhere near as much for the people that, like, know how to weld and do stuff like that, you know, and you know, I think about all those parents in the type of towns where we grew up where if you had suggested this, that this was a great opportunity for their kids, especially, especially for so many boys who are not, like, into the school thing, right? Like, a lot of men like working with their hands and it's satisfying for them, right? I mean, not you, but-, <laughs> but some men. Yeah, no, of course. And I think that that this sort of weird elitism about people who work with their hands or do those types of jobs that just permeates suburban life is so misplaced and misguided. And parents are doing such a disservice to their kids by like projecting that weirdness onto them. Uh, I mean, and and really like setting them back in their lives. I think parents need to think about, you know like yeah the guidance counselors bear blame the colleges bear blame i would really like to see them made a lot more responsible for like churning out kids who a have no idea how the world works and b have no hope of ever making a middle class salary with their degree from this school but you know also the parents need to like think about how what they're telling their kids right and like to what degree are you a parent projecting your own insecurities onto your kids oh. and, like, you want them to do, right? Like, I mean, I know this, too, and we obviously don't have college-age kids, but, like, the temptation's always there to project your stuff onto your kids, right? <laughs> like, is it
2: not? Uh, I guess so. I mean, there are... Certain I things-
3: always do this. <laughs> like, it's such a hard urge to fight. Like, I want them to like the books that I... Want them oh twice. well, you know what? You know what
2: shows you? You know mm-hmm. why you're a joiner with the one percenters.
3: How am I a joiner? The
2: palate expanders.
3: Right. Yeah.
2: That's your mm-hmm. signaling right there—that you're that yep. kind of. wants
3: our kids to have like British teeth, so
2: that's not true. I, I just am not buying into the myth of the palate expander, which is the jackalope of uh, dental care, which uh-huh. did not. Ex- I
3: think that I think that normal American kids. In the United States Here in America. Go.
2: Here we go. <laughs> That's right.
3: got appropriate dental work as recommended by their dentist as kids, I so their teeth it, come out great and
2: stuff Alice Shattuck is right next to next to Chastin Buddha getting true. Alice shattuck and Chastin Buddha both in line for palate expanders.
3: <laughs> well, I admit I'm sensitive because my teeth are crooked Your and it father-
2: are. Crooked in a Claudia Schiffer way, in a hot way, Alice. That's, oh, well,
3: when uh, the burn barrel makes me famous, they're going to be not crooked in a Claudia No, Schiffer no, way. no.
2: You can't. No, that tooth stays just where it is. That is. Oh, the that the big been, white veneers are coming. No, I mean. it's not. That tooth that I see right there in the right, left, to your right hand side, that baby stays right there. That reminds me oh. of Jewel. Jewel, who is somebody uh, who, for people my age, is a sacred person. You don't take away anything that looks like jewel. It's very <laughs> important to us. I bought you like this, Alice. You don't get to <laughs> change. Well,
3: You won't be around forever, and then I'll have straight teeth.
2: What is this? Where am I going? But, um blue origin, you think? Probably. Huh? <sighs> All right. So um, moving on now we want to move on we don't have to move on it's up to you
3: we never talked about sarah silverman yesterday
2: okay sarah silverman was um she is fighting fighting back now she's being uh, attacked by um by the view because she had a problem with joy reed joy reed decided first of all this is bizarre to me joy reed decided to say that that Ron DeSantis is creating his own uh wehrmacht his own army to to separate and and, and storm across the Sudetenland. land, and Sarah Silverman, for some reason, for some random reason, decided that she was going to plant the flag for truth on this and said, you know... Well, she
3: read the CNN article that Joy Reid posted that explained right. that having a state guard is not... I mean, like, we didn't even cover this on the show because the whole it's, thing is... So you know what's stupid.
2: funny? Right. And she, it, and, right. So she... Is read it a an bunch of liberals are showed, freaking out. Oh, 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 okay, okay, N- okay, go ahead. She read an article and said... Because Sarah Silverman happened to read an article that showed... was, artic- that, was uh, art- that was accurate about it. She said – it hit her that, wow, Joy Reid's misrepresenting this. Maybe we should be more accurate. And she wrote a tweet that we should be more accurate. First of all, it would be interesting if Sarah Silverman bothered doing that about any of her other preconceived notions that she has because then we'd yeah. be really getting somewhere, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so then, then she was attacked by The View, supposedly, and now she well, –
3: because so she said to Joy Reid, like, did you bother reading this article because it- – says that this is normal and not like a sign of creeping fascism
2: right and i can imagine how that was um how that was uh categorized from by her attackers
3: yeah how dare she question whether a black woman can read
2: so here's sarah silverman in her podcast kind of pushing back own side we can't even critique anyone in your own party without punishment one of the hosts of The View was like, what hubris for Sarah Silverman to accuse a black woman of not reading? Oi, Jesus H., what the f I I f- f***ing, I surrender. Good grief. I don't want any trouble. I cannot believe I need to say this, but I did not criticize Joy Ann because she's black, but because she's a... a Harvard-educated journalist with the responsibility, ideally, of showing the whole picture and not just a piece of a picture. The education of Sarah Silverman has begun. It's an interesting feeling, I Sarah, to be accused you can't of something.
3: her own side. It's weird,
2: right? And, and just completely attacked, accused of being a racist. No, I'm not a racist. The bad people over there, are the racists. That's a. Mm-hmm. That's a.
3: Well, yeah, and like sort of the insight into the racism of low expectations thing like that they're accusing her of criticizing joy and Reed because she's racist when she's like oh she went to harvard i thought that she was you know she's saying like she's smart like i'm criticizing her because she's smart and i thought that she should be held to a higher standard and the left is like no 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 we don't hold black harvard educated people to high standards no way (laughs) like It's like nuts. They're crazy. And she's like finally like she it's sad that it has to be turned on her for her to notice that it's insanity and weird and like racist that they're even saying this to her that they're accusing her of racism for criticizing Joanne Reed for lying. Like. I mean, it's really. All it takes is a few more and. uh, You know.
2: Well, I mean, then I think that's the way out of this thing altogether, right, is when the left starts cannibalizing the left more. And Sarah right. Silverman has done everything right. She's been happy to be in full fealty to the cause now for 15 years or whatever it is. all And she did everything that was right. Everything L.A. tells her to do, she's been doing. And in one moment, in one moment, she says something that doesn't even go against the grain. She has an aside, essentially, and says, hey, maybe we should just make sure we're a little more thorough so we can be better than the other. And it doesn't, then the hydra goes, Wah! it goes right for It doesn't, doesn't matter. Everything she did, everything she did, it doesn't matter. And the same thing will happen to, especially the newer converts, the people who just found progressivism, just found politics over the last five or 10 years or 15 years. People like Jimmy Kimmel as well. He's going to see it too. When they suddenly come for him and he's going to say, but I did everything you told me I did everything we all yeah. did. And we all had, you know, we all threw our show templates away and we cried at the right time after the George Floyd killing. And we counted the number of seconds and you know, and we had a climate change coordinated show with all the show hosts at night. I don't understand. Why would you, why would you come for us? But yeah, no, it's absolutely true that it's, so i would just like the, the people on the left to to read more things like that and if we're now into fact checking then please if it's going to be a ha- hobby of people on the left to fact check i am all for it uh i am no,
3: well, i would love more people on the left to start like noticing that they're lied to constantly right You know, by the media, by everybody in the media, by MSNBC, by CNN, by all these people, like, and to start to notice that they're constantly being told stuff that's simply not true. You know, I think that that's like the stereotype that the left has about Fox News viewers and stuff. But as far as I can tell, Fox News viewers are uh, pretty aware of you know, the left side of the story because they hear it literally everywhere else except Fox News, right? But it's like people on the left don't even know that there is another side of the story. Mm -hmm. You know, think of all the people that weren't Sarah Silverman that didn't click the link and just think Ron DeSantis is amassing an army to try and like march on the United States or whatever, (laughs) you know? Uh, and they, it, like, simply don't know that it's totally normal for there to be state guards. And there's lots and lots of states, including, like, New York, you know, that aren't a threat to national security.
2: Uh, tiki bars are being canceled uh, in the an article that you had sent us. Is this the end of the Tiki bar? We asked local Pacific Islanders what they think. Can we just get to the part of the middle here? Um uh, but amidst all this supposed fun, because it, it goes into how tiki bars have been used since the 1930s, because it's all fun, and and it really is, and I love the tiki thing myself. But amidst all this supposed fun, there have been lingering questions about the genre. For example, is the whimsical use of Pacific Island terminology and iconography, particularly religious imagery like the tiki carvings and Moa, Easter Island statues in these establishments, sufficiently respectful of actual Polynesian cultures? And does this lighthearted take on Oceania, whatever the hell that is, inappropriately gloss over the more uncomfortable aspects of the region's history and modern day reality? Isn't it, I love open-ended questions when saying, okay, let's see if we can ungood time this good time.
3: <laughs> says, Cheeky bars are one of the best places on earth.
2: Let's just... <clears throat> yes, and one of the best style treatments. It says, when the cocktail lounge Lost Lake opened in Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood in January 2015, my sense was that its owners, who are white, were mindful of these issues. While the place was branded as a tiki bar, for example, its website was LostLakeTiki.com, and served the traditional drinks in a beachcomber setting. The decor and the drinkware were nearly devoid of tiki's. In the wake of the George Floyd police murder and renewed calls for addressing, yeah, because you can't have tiki bars and umbrella, um, umbrella things in our drink anymore because uh, cops killed somebody. Yeah,
3: you, that was my thought when I saw the George Floyd video was, this really makes me question the Mai Tai as the yeah, concept.
2: Yes, George Floyd can be tethered to everything. In the wake of the George Floyd police murder and renewed calls for addressing past and present racial injustices, tiki venues have come under increased scrutiny, uh, uh, or they will now, with some people arguing that the format may be irredeemably flawed. Leading the charge has been the pastific- pastifica, pastifica, Project, an organization founded and created by individuals of oceanic descent with the hospitality and spirits industry, which has a reading list of tiki criticism on its website. The jinx genre itself is rooted in colonialism and imperialism. Here we go, baby, argues co founder Samuel Jimenez, a Californian of Samoan and Mexican American ancestry, in a conversation last year in the beverage website Punch. To me, there's no way around it. To me, non-appropriative tiki doesn't exist. It's not a thing. It can't be a thing. What a buzzkill dickhead he is. It was a sign of the times in August when, as Lost Lake reopened after 18-month hiatus during the pandemic, the bar announced it was rebranding from a tiki lounge to a tropical one. This included a menu switch from the old-school faux-Polynesian beverages to Latin American cocktails like margarita, pina coladas, and mojitos. The restaurant news website Eater Chicago reported that Lost Lake's decision came after years of feedback from multiple people in our city's hospitality and social justice activism communities. Fuck. I'm sorry. I don't care about them. They suck. They suck. They suck. Uh, Actually, one of my
3: favorite parts of this article is Mm. in the beginning that you skipped when it talks about like the history of tiki bars as a trend and did you happen to see their theory for why tiki bars lost popularity in the 70s no here's what they think they think the aesthetic lost popularity in the early 70s maybe in part because the bamboo and thatched roofs prevalent in tiki bars were uncomfortably reminiscent of the huts u.s soldiers were burning in vietnam
2: yeah i would say so
3: Yeah, that's. Everybody was going to tiki bars in the 70s and we're like, this is really hard. We're just. We're we're killing these people and we just keep drinking beverages with little cocktail umbrellas.
2: I want to eat somewhere that doesn't look like any place we burned. (laughs)
3: Maybe trends just go in and out of fashion. Does that ever occur to them?
2: Yeah, maybe the 70s went from tiki to tacky in such a revolutionary style that. that it didn't have a chance to compete as that decade was particularly egregious. It's so
3: funny because then this person like goes through, there's like, there's only like 5,000 people of this article, Chicago-based. There's only like 5,000 people of, you know, Pacific Islander descent in like the whole state of Illinois. And so he interviews a bunch of them and a bunch of them are, you know, they're into traditional dance and song and a bunch of them perform at a bunch of these tiki bars and they're like yeah we think it's great people are very respectful and they like our traditional culture and like they're all for it and then (laughs) so it's just funny because the whole article is framed this way like many people say it's problematic and then when they actually get down to interviewing people that are of pacific islander descent who are involved in these places they love them and they think it's awesome Mm
2: -hmm. so but as usual, Alice, with, with the eradication of all these symbols and all of this the stuff that is considered appropriation, who's it about?
3: Uh, White people?
2: Yes. Most specifically, white women. Mm-hmm. White women in leafy suburbs with nice cars uh, who drink special teas. Oh,
3: right. And by the way, is it better for it to be a tropical bar with, like, margaritas and pina colada? Like, isn't that also appropriative? Like isn't know. our I concept believe, of a Mexican restaurant appropriate? I, I believe you know?
2: that Americans bombed the crap out of uh, tropical and uh, and into uh, uh, places in uh, in the South Pacific in World War II. I think there was all sorts of fire and destruction there. I can't have that.
3: Yeah, but I don't know. It's interesting in general. I think a lot of times. I think a lot of times in the US, and I say this as somebody who is involved in like an immigrant subculture to an extent, because um, I've been in like Serbian dance groups and stuff. I mean, like, is that stuff like a disney sort of fake version of the culture, like all the costumes and dance and singing and accordion playing and the whole thing? Like, yeah, it's not like accurate really to the culture per se you know it's a bun it's and but i think that that's really common in diaspora that people preserve a version of their culture that is a little bit you know it it's a little bit, like, oversimplified, right? Well, you know, sure. everything's, and, like, and, and, and Disney, and iconic, the Disney exactly. World version of the culture, right? But that's just how it is, too, right? Like, right. That's but, but, what but all the cultures turn into when they go into diaspora. Yes,
2: yes. there was a time in the, um, maybe it was even the 90s, where there was a huge trend in Japan of Japanese dressing like Elvis. Because they were into Elvis. <laughs> You know, the rest of the world dresses like cowboys, and uh, and I because that's an American thing. You know, those right. people do have life stories, and there was a bunch of struggles, and people died in the planes, and it was a bloody awful time, as a matter of fact. But since uh, at the moment in the leaderboard, America is in the top three, you know, then we're not allowed to complain about it, nor would anybody complain about it. No, right. Or like
3: you think about how we treat German culture, right? Like Mm -hmm. with Lederhosen and Bratwurst and whatever. Like, is that like accurate to German culture? Like, no, it's a cartoon version of it, right? But it's still fun and a lot of German people are involved in it, and you still can have, you know, breweries that have Oktoberfests and like you know, people wear St. Polly girl outfits or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, right? Like that. That is a stereotype of German culture, but it just like that's what that's what happens to all the cultures. It's not offensive or Italian culture or whatever else, right? Or, or, like or those people who got Papa in trouble Gino's for for, putting, to, for having like,
2: a, an employee party because they were wearing mariachi outfits. I don't see the problem. I, what, <laughs> what's the problem? We didn't, we didn't. There isn't one less uh, handful of mariachi outfits in Mexico because that happened. They still wear mariachi stuff in Mexico, in the Mexican islands, etc. They still do. They they exist right there. What's the, what's the problem?
3: Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think a lot of colleges don't, like, do Cinco de Mayo parties anymore or whatever because the people wear those hats and it's offensive, right?
2: You know what it is. It, they think it's offensive because they're thinking of a guy in a big sombrero who sounds like Speedy Gonzalez who's drunk all day lying against a cactus. They're thinking of that and saying – Oh, that's what they mean. That's what they really mean when they're doing that. Or that's that's a dangerous stereotype. When really nobody's really thinking of that, you know. Maybe they're thinking of that. That's where their mind goes, but not really. Mariachis are, in my personal experience, are musicians that walk around and entertain people.
3: Right. I mean, but this is. Like how it goes is that all cultures get reduced a bit to this sort of like flat, cartoonish version of themselves because people are removed from it and not really living them anymore, right? Well, right. That's 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 just how this works. Is like people try on cultures like a costume at certain venues and in certain parties and contexts. Well, sure,
2: but but also once again, it's it's just about anti-Western culture, and mostly if any, in a possible anti-American culture. Because you could look at the Mariachis uh, and say, wait a second, they were oppressors. They weren't the oppressed. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Spanish influence in over Mexico in Central America, the Sp- conquistadors um, were the hot to trot group. Right. You know, well, and
3: especially in the Americas, I think it's super complicated because everything that we know of as native culture is also a byproduct of the columbian exchange and columbus coming Mm -hmm. here like we think of plains indian culture with like the horses and the hunting buffalo and stuff but like horses weren't here until columbus came here so like all of that is a culture that arose later as a product of cultural exchange anyway you know it so especially in the case of the americas it's super super complicated because like you say at all this culture is a combination of native culture and african culture and european cultures and you know it turned into this blend but like who gets to lay claim to it is a question that i think it, it can't be answered
2: hmm oh all right jackie b uh, um, Is there
3: anything else that happened today that we need to cover
2: anything else that happened today uh i don't know that i know i we've got the list here i don't think anything else on the list anything else on the list yeah we did student loans we didn't
3: do biden and climate change and the tornadoes but
2: yeah yeah i guess, I guess like i mean here's saki today <laughs>
1: The President has had to address a series of natural disasters, other severe weather occurrences this yeah. year, from wildfires to hurricanes and now these tornadoes. And each time we've heard him talk about how, and I think he said this on Saturday, These shouldn't be, partisan moments. We're not, you know, Republicans and Democrats. But we've also heard him also, on many of these occasions, talk about the demonstrated effect of climate change. Mm -hmm. So two questions. One, what, if anything, can we expect to hear from the President when he goes to Kentucky on Wednesday about, specifically about climate change? And can you talk about how he balances those two imperatives of trying to strike this unifying note, but talking about an issue that, you know, frankly, is a partisan, that has caused a partisan divide?
0: You're right. I'm not going to get ahead of what he's going to say in Kentucky. And as I noted in response to Kelly's question, I mean, that visit is really about him receiving an update of the work that's happening on the ground, hearing directly from leaders on what they need more from the federal government, if anything. And he's going to be very responsive to that and really trying to be a source of comfort to people who have gone through a devastating couple of days in their communities. Uh, So it's not an opportunity. He's not going to give a major speech while he's there. I will note, and he's been asked this a couple of times over the last few days. And when we were in the north, when he was in the northeast several months ago, what has been striking to him and to all of us is just the sheer impact of uh, of the climate uh, changes in the climate uh, and the crisis that is uh, is the climate currently on uh, on on communities across the country, on the cost to communities, on these major weather events that have impacted such a growing percentage of. Okay. We're getting a little groovy in here. I like it. Okay. (laughs) It's it's kind of exactly what we needed right now. Um, It's all good. Yeah. I was enjoying it thoroughly. We should turn it back on in a few minutes. Um, Anyway... there are some really startling statistics. I actually will get these all to out all to all of you about the percentage of people in this country who have been impacted by severe weather events. It has increased over the course of time, and the president will talk about this more.
2: So, oh, God. That there you go. Like so go, the fact is, as a post-editorial about it, the fact is that tornadoes had, are not becoming more frequent. The average remains about 1,200 observed each year, ranging from 900 to 1,600 or so. More are reported. Than back in the 1950s and before that, because storm chasing has become a thing.
3: Right. So a lot of tornadoes used to happen that nobody noticed.
2: Exactly. And all sorts of other stuff used to happen. It's just, it is gross and they're just tying everything in. This is how democratic politics works right now.
3: Well, and it so reminds me of COVID, like the way that they're talking about it, because the whole discourse is so immune to any like factual way of measuring the impact of this. Like we just have to spend money on climate change, 800,000 people dead. We just have to spend money on COVID. Look how it's impacting people. And you're like, so how many people's lives is it going to save exactly if we spend these dollars? And they're like, how dare you ask questions like that? Don't you care exactly. about the 800,000 A- people exactly. dead? Like how dare you even question this? You just want people to die. And I'm like, no, I just want to know how the money that you're spending is supposedly going to stop that and they're like you know what i have some statistics that are going to show you that the climate has got become different and you're like well so what but i just want to know how this is going to help just like with COVID, people are like okay exactly just If my kid's going to keep wearing a mask, can you just tell me, like, how many lives this is going to save or when it's going to stop, like, when it will ever be enough? Like, no, we can't. Don't you care about the people who are dying? Like, no, I do. That's why I want to know, like, if what we're doing is actually helping in any way or if you're just making me do something for kicks.
2: Like, Right. And, and, and as far as, as, uh, as, as carbon, you know, um, pollution, we could spend some of our trillions on a fleet of... Of nuclear power plants right now I know but and, California
3: is what Shutting them down yes, right now and,
2: and drastically change our output But they don't want to It's almost as if the the problem is what they want The challenge is what they want
3: No they just want you to not be able to use A plastic grocery bag At the grocery store That was like one of the very few good things That happened from COVID As we briefly in this blue state Went back to plastic grocery bags For a few months Yeah now it's back. I was just at the grocery store and I had to get a thousand paper bags. I'm
2: going to throw out or
3: burn in Burn Barrel. Like that. Anyway, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Burn Barrel Pod. Uh, you can find us on Facebook.com/slash Burn Barrel Podcast, You can find Tom in the state of Connecticut tomorrow and Wednesday. He's going to be doing live remotes Where will you be, honey?
2: Um, I'll be either in Avon or somewhere. I'll tweet it out tomorrow.
3: Cool. So you can find him there um, and on Rumble.com.